Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you're listening, and welcome to Tri-State at the Plate. I'm your host, Andy Burdick, joined today by the big red machine of this podcast, Bob Finkbeiner. Bob, how are you this morning? I'm good, but just a little bit tired. It is a beautiful Sunday morning. It beautiful. is. Beautiful. I'm pleased that I don't have to say that it's snowing. <laughs> That's nice. That's usually how these podcasts for the first portion of the year start out. We talk about how the weather outside's terrible. Beautiful today. So uh, I'm going to get outside out of the basement at some point and uh, go enjoy the outside. Maybe ride a bike, maybe walk. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do something. Maybe I should go to the Seawolves game. Who knows? There you go. We'll do something outside, though. Um, so great day for baseball, it looks like. I don't know. I haven't checked out the uh, the rest of the United States and Canada, but uh, hopefully it's beautiful wherever you're watching baseball today, too. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about the Pirates. We're going to be talking about the Indians. We'll have a Seawolves shout out at the end. But before we get to all of that, Bob, there's something that I want to talk about that I'm sure you'll find interesting because it is pitching related, but not pitching related in the manner that everybody is about to uh, or that everybody's thinking about right now. Jake Arrieta has echoed Madison Bumgarner's sentiments of wanting to appear in the home run derby this year. Bob, as a pitching aficionado, how do you feel about this? Uh, personally, or my view from like ownership point of view, <laughs> let's go personally first. Personally, I love it. I think it's great. I think it would make me interested in the home run derby again. I mean, I watch every year. The home run derby is by far the most exciting part of all-star weekend. So I enjoy the home run derby more than I enjoy the game. Most. What about, what about the futures game though? That's a fun time. Yeah. The futures. Yeah. The futures game is fun. Yeah. I do enjoy the futures game. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's true. I probably actually enjoy the Futures game most. Home Run Derby second. The All-Star game, I, I usually don't make it till the end. There you um, go. But I think it, it, it would be very interesting. I'd be curious to see who the best hitting pitcher is. Maybe each league should have the best hitting pitcher every year enter. I don't know. It'd make it, it'd make it fun to see if the best hitting pitcher could outslug, you know, the best hitters that you're sending to the uh, Home Run Derby. And that's what is going to happen. I think people are afraid. <laughs> How would you feel on national TV if you lost to Bumgarner? When, when you're, you're Jason Bay in the home run derby and you get zero home runs and Madison Bumgarner <laughs> outslugs you? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Cause I think, and I think that would be funny. I would love to be in the locker room after a hitter loses a home run derby to a pitcher. Oh, my. Wouldn't that be the best? In Knowing baseball culture and what we know of it, I think it would be amazing for that guy to have to go through <laughs> the, rest, <laughs> the rest of the season having lost the home run derby to a pitcher. But I don't, yeah, I mean, from an ownership point of view, I understand why you don't want your pitchers doing that because <laughs> swinging home runs is a lot of torque. And, you know, you hear about guys who don't swing the same the rest of the year after the home run derby, supposedly, because it's you know, an exhausting exercise that you you don't train for necessarily. And, you know, they say it kind of throws your mechanics out of whack because of that. And mm -hmm. so, I, you know, like I wouldn't want my ace pitcher out there, you know, tweaking an oblique, trying to swing as hard as he can uh, to launch a ball into the upper deck, which, you know, like this whole thing started because I was it at Cincinnati when Madison Bumgarner hit a ball into like the third deck or St. Louis, maybe. I think it was like one yeah, of the two teams like in BP. He launched a ball into the, the third deck and 
then people were asking him, well, would you participate in the home run derby? He's like, oh, yeah, that'd be great. Um, I don't know. I, th- I think it would it would make the home run derby interesting again. But yeah, other other than that, I guess they're not my pitchers, so I don't care. As long as Garrett Cole doesn't want to do it, I'm like, yeah, it's great. I'm all for it. <laughs> but yeah, the second it's my pitcher, I, I I say no. Let's pump the brakes on that. I don't know. Uh, any other thoughts on that? I'm looking real fast at Bumgarner's career. I mean, he's only hitting 147 this year as a hitter with those two home runs. But last year he hit five home runs, hit 247. And 2014 he hit four home runs, hit 258. And had a remarkable 15 RBIs. Yeah, I mean, you look at the... There's memes bouncing around the internet with his stats on it. And it's <laughs> like over his last, I don't know how many played appearances. Like last 100 and so Oh, yeah, much. 190 play appearances. He had as many home runs as like what Bryce Harper and... Mike Trout or something Trout. Like, <laughs> like that. So you look at that and you're like, oh, that's pretty impressive. I don't know. but And then, you know... You never know if our guys pitching to pitchers differently than they would. I mean, I would assume at this point you'd probably be somewhat cautious pitching to Madison Bumgardner. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not just laying a fastball right down Broadway. <laughs> but I, I mean, I, you know, pitchers talk about all the time how they can kind of just lay off the other team's pitchers a little bit. They don't have to worry so much about their pinpoint command. I don't know if maybe some of that was for Madison Bumgardner was fueled by that. I don't know. Yeah. It's impressive nonetheless. Definitely. But I, I would like to see it. I'd like to see Jake Arietta and Madison Bumgarner in the home run derby. I think it'd be interesting and fun. Yes. More kinda, so, like kind of kind of disrespectful to other players. You know, like <laughs> how would you feel if you're like I don't know, like I know he's in the American League, but like how'd you feel if you're like Mark Trumbo when you're out of the home run derby because they have Jake Arietta in there? Like <laughs> I don't know. I think it'd be cool to see, though. Yeah, I'm I'm for it. Overall, I'm for it. How do you feel? Final final verdict on this, Bob? I, I approve. You're for it? As long yeah. as it's not your team's pitcher, you're for it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's, just, that's just it. We got to make sure we have that qualifier in there. Yeah. Sorry, Corey. You just can't. You can't participate. <laughs> yeah, we cannot have the clue bot in the home run derby. But every other ace pitcher that wants to go right ahead. All right. Chris Sale, go for it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, give us a break. All right. You ready to talk some Pirates and Indians? I am. Let's do this thing. Pittsburgh is currently 32-30, and 30, which in the National League Central is good enough to be 11 games behind the Cubs. <laughs> you remember a couple weeks ago we were, like, down to four and a half? Or, well, at one point we were eight games, and I was saying things have gotten out of hand, and then we cut it back to four and a half games. And now we're just back to 11. 11 games back of the Cubs. Uh, Pittsburgh has not been playing well lately, and now they're actually two games uh, out of the wild card spot, too. So it hasn't been a nice stretch of baseball for the Pirates lately. As we talked about last week, a lot of this is pitching-related. Um, the offense is producing. I mean, by all accounts, Pittsburgh has what you could consider a, a top-three offense in baseball, really. Um, which is kind of wild when you think about it. You know, you have the Red Sox who are this elite offense and then the Cubs who are playing obviously out of their minds. But Pittsburgh is right up there with uh, with those teams. Um, they're hitting 
273 as a team, 350 on base, 421 slug. Um, you know, plenty of production from that lineup. Um, their offensive production has netted them 12.7 wins above replacement as a team on Fangraphs offensively, which again is third in baseball behind just the the Red Sox and Cubs. So the offense is not a problem. the The problem is when you take a look at their pitching and their pitching as we've talked about the last few weeks, has been not just bad, but really, really bad. Um, again, if you're going by wins above replacement, uh, according to Fangraphs, Pittsburgh's wins above replacement currently are 0.9, which is good for next to last in all <laughs> of baseball. Behind, who, who do you think is the worst pitching team in baseball? Uh, I'm guessing the Braves. Ooh, no. Good guess. Very, very good guess. I will give you a hint. They are in our division, and they have the worst bullpen in baseball by far. Milwaukee? Nope. The Reds. Oh, yeah. Duh. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. The bullpen's terrible. Yeah. The Reds are a train wreck. So, we're better than the Reds, and worse than every other team, uh, which is not good. It's, It's not good because we've relied on our pitching these last few years to kind of put us in positions to succeed. And this year it's just been just a mess. I Ray Searage has his work cut out for him this year. If he's going to, if ever there was a time where we needed some Ray Searage witchcraft, that time <laughs> is, is definitely now, but that's where Pittsburgh currently sits. Uh, I mean, they're certainly not out of anything by any stretch of the imagination, but, um, w- more than anything, we need to get we need to figure out how to get the pitching right. Um, if if Pittsburgh's really going to make a push this year, um, I think a lot of progress was made with the pitching as far as improving it goes with Jamison Talion's start. Um, he made his first start with the Pirates this year. Uh, it wasn't quite as electric as Garrett Cole start. Uh, Garrett Cole start. I've I, I, if it wasn't a sellout, it had to have been close to a sellout because I was at the game and it was, it was a packed house. Um, but everything looked good in Italian start. I don't know. Did you watch Italian start? Yes, I did. So, I mean, it was, it was a good start. Everything looked sharp. Um, he had an explosive fastball. It touched 97. Um, his curveball. I mean, you you can look at his curveball and see like, oh man, this kid has definitely two plus pitches. Yeah, it's filthy. I mean, it's a it is a sharp curveball. It kind of reminds me of when Trevor Bauer's curveball's going. Yep. I mean, it's got a lot of break to it. It's a it's a heavy, heavy cement mixer curveball. It's dropping. Um, his his command looked shaky at times, and you could kind of tell. You know, he had six walks all year in in Indianapolis, and he had three or two walks. I think two walks, um, in his start, um, for the Pirates, but. He finished the night. I mean, it was it was a good night. He threw six innings. He had three strikeouts, two walks. He gave up a homer. Um, it was it was a good start. You know, a quality start overall. Um, but I, you know, he was immediately sent back down after the start. To, number one, bring Pittsburgh some more arms, and number two, I think to just kind of help continue that that cost control. Um, my guess is we're probably not comfortably past the super two deadline yet and so again just keeping that service time uh as a non-issue for the pirates financially makes sense um but i think 
And I guess when you look at, at all of Pittsburgh's pitching struggles, and we've talked at length about Liriano, and you could see, you know, Liriano struggling again last night with his uh, command, even though he didn't necessarily completely implode. But I, I think if you're Pittsburgh, you need Jamison Talion uh, in order to be successful this year. Um, you know, their their rotation, again, hasn't been stellar. Their bullpen hasn't been stellar. I think you need a guy who can come in and kind of outperform the Jeff Locks and the Juan Nicasios and maybe leapfrog the, you know, maybe leap, leapfrog Jonathan Nice to become that third starter that you really need um, to help turn things around. Now, speaking of Garrett Cole, Cole left to start Friday night. Oh, man, the triage. We really need Dr. Garrett on this episode, Bob, because <laughs> it's just been a walking wounded uh, line in Pittsburgh. But Garrett Cole left Friday night start uh, after about three plus innings. Francisco Cervelli left Friday's game. Uh, and there are two major injuries to the Pirates that that don't portend, I guess, future success. Um, with Cervelli, he was placed on the 15-day DL with a broken hand. Um, he had an operation to remove the hamate bone, which from what I understand about hamates, and I don't know, maybe I'll text Dr. Garrett and see, I don't think hamates are like... It sounds like they're kind of like the uh, the appendix of bones in your hand. <laughs> like they're just removing it, so it sounds like it's not that important. You know what I mean? Right. So I don't know, but he's going to miss, he's going to miss four to six weeks because of this, uh, surgery that he just had. There was um, someone that had the same, uh, same operation done. I want to say five, seven years ago. And they, they basically credited that surgery as for a sapping the power of their, of their swing. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I think. Uh, and, you know, I don't have it in front of me. I, I can go pull it up in a little bit. But I think Cervelli injured his hand actually swinging. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I might text Dr. Garrett. Maybe we can get Dr. Garrett on the podcast, uh, see if we can pull him away from his uh, busy doc, doctor lifestyle uh, and get him to talk a little bit about handmade bones. Because I would be kind of curious to hear, um, you know, just what the effects of that could be from a medical sense. Yeah, that's playing doctor. Discussing the more important. Yeah, we we got real things to do, like talk about hammy bones and how it can sap power from your swing, Dr. Garrett. Um, I guess, yeah, and, you know, that's a good point. Uh, you know, if there's a kind of a track record of players talking about how that has affected them. You know, Cervelli's back in six weeks. Uh, sounds like, you know, just in time for the the uh, playoff push. You know, maybe he's not going to be the same kind of player when he gets back. Who knows? Um, in his stead... Pittsburgh actually had to go out and acquire a catcher because Elias Diaz uh, and his elbow injury have made him unavailable. Next in line in Indianapolis would be Jacob Stallings, uh, who Pittsburgh you know, clearly doesn't think is ready and judging by his performance in Indianapolis probably needs some more time. Um, so they went out and acquired journeyman catcher Eric Kratz from the Angels. Uh, I believe it was for cash um, to fill in at backstop. He's been everywhere. Eric Kratz is, when we say journeyman, he is the <laughs> definition of a journeyman. That is for sure. So we acquired Eric Kratz. It must have been Friday night, so he flew to Pittsburgh Saturday. Right? Yeah, yesterday was Saturday. So he, 
he flies into Pittsburgh. He d- makes it to the stadium just in time for the game. He's standing in the dugout. And get this, last night there was a play at the plate and Chris Stewart injured his left foot. Oh, geez. Eric Kratz in Pittsburgh, he's been a pirate for like three hours, forced into action. And I remember, you know, as I was watching the game last night, I'm thinking there's going to be a ton of mound visits because he has no idea who any of these people are, let alone what they throw. (laughs) So Eric Kratz was pushed into duty last night. We're already getting our money's worth out of that trade. Um, so Cervelli and Cole both left Friday's game. That's bad news. Garrett Cole, uh, left the game. He had tricep tightness, uh, MRI yesterday. I haven't seen anything, uh, as far as the results of the MRI go from what it sounds like. The beat reporters was said that he's expected to miss some time, but it's not projected to be a serious injury. This is a big blow to Pittsburgh, particularly because he's been the only pitcher that's pitched really effectively this season. He's thrown 68 and a third innings to the tune of a 2.77 ERA and a 3.04 FIP 19% K rate, just good. 6.9% walk rate, uh, 144 ERA plus according to baseball reference, which is your ERA adjusted to a hundred. So he's having a, a great season for Pittsburgh. You know, last year he threw 208 innings. He crossed that 200 inning plateau and, I think Pittsburgh needed to really count on him to kind of do that again this year. And that's that's a big blow to the Pirates who are not pitching well at all to kind of have to figure out how do we get through a couple missed Garrett Cole starts. Um, just a couple other things, I guess, before we move on to the Tribe. The bullpen's been taxed. This was a, a really rough week overall for Pittsburgh. Uh, they had a doubleheader against the Mets. Then they had to turn around, fly to Colorado to finish a makeup game. I don't know. Did you see that schedule at all? Yeah. So uh, double, it's, it's crazy. Doubleheader against the Mets, fly to Colorado on Thursday for one game in Colorado, turn around and fly back to Pittsburgh for Friday's St. Louis game. And when I saw that, my initial thought when I saw that was the day that they were rained out in Colorado, you're telling me that they couldn't have just waited to try and play that game later. Man. Or, you, you know, why didn't you have a doubleheader in Colorado, <laughs> in Colorado instead of oh that? That's a rough, rough 28 hours to be flying back and forth like that. Um, so to kind of address some of the bullpen issues, and I don't know how much this addresses the issues or adds to them, but Archimedes Caminero was activated off the disabled list. And he didn't hit anyone last night in his return so that was good that's positive yeah that's progress i suppose so i don't know it's i guess overall my my thoughts on the pirates season thus far the hitting's been amazing it's been a great offensive year but at some point they have to look to address those woes and again just think about this for a second bob if you're a pittsburgh pirates fan okay what's the only way that your club can address the pitching woes. Well, I had a question for you in that regard, actually. Uh, it was not long ago that your Pittsburgh Pirates signed a former Cleveland Indian, and when Ty Young got called up, they assigned this person to AAA Indianapolis. Uh, Masterson. Yeah, Masterson. So I was going to ask you, 
do you think he is a possible solution to perhaps the bullpen? It's like a long man type, you know, two, three, four inning kind of guy when needed. I mean, Masterson seems, and I think we talked about this actually when Pittsburgh signed Masterson, he seems like the prototypical Ray Searage project, doesn't he? Yeah, but I just don't know health-wise. Do you really want him starting, though? That's my, like, I wonder if he's better suited to come out of the bullpen. Oh, and kind of like that Jim R. Gomez long relief. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I I think that would make sense as a, a role for him. And that would help out a lot, I think, for the Buckos too. Just to kind of soak up some of those innings. Yeah, I mean, just having a guy that can go two or three innings. You know, when um, when Garrett Cole had to leave that game Friday. So you're talking about this team that's had doubleheaders and then traveling to Colorado and playing out there and then turning around and flying back. Like a rough week for the Pirates' bullpen. They've been put to use. And then Garrett Cole leaves the game in the third inning. Man, the bullpen just can't catch a break. You're calling guys up and down and sending guys back and forth to try and get some innings and some fresh arms. Yeah, I mean, that would have been a spot where I could see Pittsburgh being able to call on Masterson and say, like, hey, we need three good innings. Now, I think it was it Rob Scahill who came in. I don't know, whoever came in in relief of Garrett Cole did a did an outstanding job. He threw three or four really solid innings. But yeah, I mean, that could be a role I think Justin Masterson could fill. You know, he like I said, he is that Ray Searage reclamation project reincarnate. I mean, it's heavy ground ball guy, you know, some mechanical issues that, and, you know, we, we've seen it with Justin Masterson, you know, when his mechanics are going, he's an outstanding pitcher. Mm-hmm. Um, now, obviously the last few years, health has been an issue, but um, I think if you can get, get him to get that ground ball rate back to where it was, uh, he, yeah, he could be a very useful tool out of the bullpen. Yeah, that's a really good point, Bob. And I haven't, I hadn't really even thought a whole lot about Justin Masterson other than when I occasionally see his name pop up on the Twitterverse. <laughs> He's lurking in the background. He's, <laughs> yes, he is. Um, but well, and this is the point I wanted to make, I guess, too. So the only way, if you're a Pittsburgh fan, that you can address the pitching needs, Pittsburgh is not going to go and sign a twenty million dollar a year ace and free agency. They're not going to trade for an ace i mean no one is trading ace pitchers you know what i mean the market just isn't set up like that so you're not trading you know like madison Bumgarners. you know this isn't a mlb the show video game so the only way that pittsburgh really can address these issues is internally and you've already seen jameson talion has the stuff that he deserves a shot in the pirates rotation i mean he can't be any worse than you know, we saw Jeff Locke in Colorado. I think that right. we saw the the floor of Jeff Locke in Colorado for sure. And we've seen what Juan Nicasio is, which is a guy who throws two pitches and can't make it multiple times through a lineup. I, to improve your pitching, the only way you can do that is by calling up your players who are ready. Mm-hmm. And I know that you have to play the... I know you have to play the service time game because that's just financially what you have to do to survive, but I don't know. It is getting a bit tedious to, you know, we have a top, a top three offense in baseball and we're wasting it because we don't have players to pitch. Let me ask so, you a question. We, we, we constantly mentioned that, you know, the service time ideas, both controllable payrolls. 
and the like. But this day and age, I'm not saying we, I'm not saying anyone does this, regardless of health. But does the long-term risk? I mean, most pitchers are going to have some kind of major injury, almost guarantee. It seems like nowadays, it really does. So, are the Buccos really worse off by bringing up Glass now, now, and maybe losing the one year of control? No, it might be a decent chance he may be hurt also within five years, six years. Right. Yeah, I, I really don't think so. And Dan and Buffalo and I have this conversation frequently, but if you plan on extending a player anyways, what does it what does it matter? Right. That year doesn't matter because you're gonna you're gonna buy it out anyways. So I mean, I guess with guys like Garrett Cole, I get why the service time is important because you need that extra year because he's going to hit free agency and he'll be gone because he's a Boris client. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you've you got to look at some of these players like Gregory Polanco and Starling Marte, you know, Josh Harrison. You're locking these guys up to long-term deals. You're kind of building a core, and I would think that you would want Glasnow to be a part of that core eventually. Like, if you're going to lock them up, the year doesn't matter anyways. And Damn. I, you know, and I watched Glasnow start yesterday. And I understand there's stuff that he can work on. But I think at this point, he's pretty much proven he can work on the stuff at the major league level. Like, AAA is not... He, he can strike guys out and not locate his curveball in AAA. Like, he's still leaving the curveball up. He's still burying it in the dirt. You know, he's throwing fastballs in the dirt the first four pitches of the game. Like, that stuff he probably should be figuring out in Pittsburgh now, not in AAA. Right. Um... As you said, too, you lock guys up to the long-term deals, the Polancos, the Harrisons, the Martes. They expect, obviously, they're getting paid now, too, which is great for them. But they expect to be part of a winning team. Mm-hmm. I mean, and emotionally, and, and I guess uh, your attitude overall, generally speaking, if you don't believe your team is putting yourself in a position to win, that can go poorly for the long-term uh attractiveness i guess of, of the club yeah i i agree with that i i think you want to show your players that you want to win i i do yeah i think that has a lot to do with how they like a balance basically yeah and hey neil huntington has done an amazing job transforming the pirates and i get that he works with some weird financial restraints that other teams don't have to necessarily worry about all the time but Man, at some point, you've got to look at Tyler Glasnow down there and say, you know, we're giving this season away. Mm-hmm. It's got to be worth calling him up. But then I look at it, too, and I'm like, well, we've made it this far, so why not just keep him down another two weeks right. and not have to worry about it? And that's it, too. I don't know. It's a very peculiar tightrope that you have to walk being a small market team like the Pirates. I just I could sit there and just debate myself all day about the merits of calling him up or keeping him down. I don't know. The sad thing is the whole conversation would be, would be mute if guys like, you know, uh, Nice and Nicasio, right? Him better. Yeah, Jeff Locke. I don't I don't hold out hope for Jeff Locke. I, Jeff Locke is what he is. I mean, he's <laughs> he's a left-handed pitcher who can throw like 93, 94. His stuff moves a lot, but. He just he can't command consistently, and that'll just dog him, I think, for his whole career. But, I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. I I think a guy like Glasnow, 
you can't look at him and say, well, like, oh, he's not better than Nicasio at this point, or oh, he's not better than Jonathan Neese. Like, you put Tyler Glasnow in our rotation, and he could be the second best starter at this point. So, but yeah, I mean, the financials come into play, and I guess that is what it is. It's going to happen, though. We know that. Yeah, I mean, there's absolutely no excuse for keeping him down there past whatever they think the Super 2 deadline is. Right. Um, I, all right, but uh, just a couple things I want to touch on before we talk about the tribe, because we've been kind of rambling on about the, the pirates here for a while. The, uh, amateur draft has been going on. Uh, pirates first round pick was, uh, Will Craig. Uh, you know, I, I guess it's a good pick. He's a collegiate player out of Wake Forest, third baseman. Um, I don't know from, from what I understood, it seems like it was more of a safe pick. You know, he's, a collegiate player uh some people had him viewed as more of a top 50 pick than like a top you know 25 pick but um he can hit he can field i guess so you'll kind of get to watch him develop i guess over the next few years and see what comes of that but we were talking before we started recording about the draft pick and like kevin newman was the pirates you know first round pick last year and he's in high bradenton i think right now so Maybe even in West Virginia. I don't know. He's he's down in, in A-ball still. So you got some time to watch him develop. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the draft is... It's a cool time. It's it's exciting, I guess, the more that you... The higher your pick is, I think the more, the more exciting it is because you get all those prep names that everybody's excited about. But continuing to talk about prospects... Austin Meadows, who was a very exciting pick that we made a few years ago, is currently in the middle of a 20-game hitting streak for Altoona. Uh, just tearing the cover off the ball. Everything is looking fine from that orbital fracture. Uh, and I think you're starting to see a lot of that offensive potential that that we've been talking about with Meadows for a while now. So, And he's doing it at AA, which is the place that you really want to see players, I guess, succeeding because it's kind of that first real benchmark challenge. So nice to see Austin Meadows doing all right down in Altoona. All right, Bob, that's it for the Pirates. You ready to talk Tribe a little bit? Yeah. <clears throat> uh, the Tribe, as we last got together and talked about baseball, they were able to close out their four-game sweep over the Royals on last Sunday, which was nice. Uh, they went back in the first place, I think that Saturday game, and they maintained their control in first place throughout this, this week. They're currently up by three games over the Royals and Tigers and three and a half over the White Sox. Feels good to be in first place this late in the season, doesn't it? It does. The only worry I have is that the Minnesota Twins sit at the bottom of the standings at 18-43, and 43, but they've owned the Tribe all year pretty much. Yeah. So hopefully that will change uh, soon. Uh, Michael Brantley, I guess the best way to describe him is his cloud of mystery. There were conflicting reports earlier this week that some were saying he they are fearful that he may be out for a long time, and some said that no, he's progressing fairly well and he'll be back in a time to be determined. <laughs> so we don't really know. This is like a regular Scooby Doo episode, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, it's just nuts. I don't know. Nice thing is though, despite him being gone, is that uh, Jose Ramirez continues to hit. Jose Ramirez started at shortstop last night, didn't he? He did. They gave Lindor a day off. Second day off, I think, in the last like, week and a half almost. He's, I will say, in his defense, Lindor has earned some days off. 
Yes. Any day that Lindor gets off is a well-earned day off. <laughs> yes. So he got the day off, but then he would appear in a game later on, which I'll mention here in a bit. Uh, so last night I, I was tired because I watched the whole game between the Angels and Indians, and Trevor Bauer was phenomenal. Just outstanding, I thought. Not outstanding in the sense that he struck out a lot of guys. I think he only struck out three guys maybe last night's start. Only walked maybe one. But here's some numbers for you here, Andy. Bauer now, as a starter, is up to two and a half strikeouts per walk. Oh, wow. Not too bad. He has thrown so far a starting pitcher. Uh, I just lost it here. I find it. 57 innings pitched with just 18 walks. That's a... I mean, for Trevor Bauer especially, too, that's a real, real improvement. Yeah. A 3.47 ERA, those 18 walks, along with 46 strikeouts, 51 hits allowed, and 22 earned runs. Uh, Opposed were hitting 234 against him. And our on-base against him is 298. Wow. So he's done very, very well these last two starts against Anaheim, or Los Angeles, Anaheim, and uh, the Mariners this past week. He had a really good week. What was nice to see about Bauer, too, is that he seems to be very much composed. And watching the start last night, it was, I think, less thinking and more just attacking the zone with what a pitch they call. His curveball was sharp <clears throat> a bit times, kind of hit in front of the play a little bit. His fastball has some life. He's been throwing a cut fastball, too. So getting some extra movement on it. Yeah. And he was just, I mean, he was working the edges really nice last night. I was really impressed. I just hope that this is going to be a sign of things to come. If, that, if that's the case, this can be a big help to the rotation. How do Indians fans feel about Trevor Bauer, just generally speaking? Uh, those I've engaged with tend to either like him and his antics or despise him and his antics. He's a very polarizing figure, huh? Yes. I guess when I look at Trevor Bauer, I think of him as... Cleveland's Jeff Locke because <laughs> you know like Jeff Locke was an all-star had a great first half to the what 2013 season or whatever year he was an all-star right but he is the most maddening pitcher to watch because on days when he's off he's just just serving him up and that's kind of you know how Trevor Bauer is or that's how he feels to me there will be days where I watch Trevor Bauer and I just think this guy is electric and then days when I watch Trevor Bauer and think this guy needs to be down in Columbus figuring this out. <laughs> like, <he's, laughs> like just, you know, based on my peripheral watching of Trevor Bauer, I don't watch every start like you do, but you know, I see enough of Trevor Bauer that like he's, he's maddening for me to watch. So as someone who would have to watch him all the time, how, like, how do you feel about Trevor Bauer <clears throat> being in your starting rotation? Are you comfortable with him there? Do you like him yes, there? I like him there a lot. In my, in, my, in my opinion, this is how, how I view it. I view it as Cleveland has three, I would say, rock-solid guys top rotation with Kluber, Carrasco, Salazar. Uh, Tomlin has been just Mr. Consistent, basically. He's a solid fourth, fifth guy. And then Bauer as a four or five guy. But with the pedigree and talent that he has, to me, that's a bonus having him pitch that part of rotation. On days when he's on, he's like a number two, three guy in rotation. 
You wanted to say one, didn't you? I heard it I on the tip of your tongue. One, oh, I heard it on the tip of your tongue. <clears throat> can't do it yet. <laughs> but he only threw 106 pitches last night in eight innings. And ready for this one? It's going to blow your mind. At 106 pitches, 70 strikes. That's really impressive. That's a so, good night at the office. So two stars this week, and he's only allowed one walk. Yeah, I mean, that's the Trevor Bauer that you assumed you were getting when you traded Arizona for him. Yeah. Now, ironically, and this is not necessarily a talk about the Indians, but more just to talk about overall uh, pitching dominance. Um, Shoemaker, pitching for the Angels last night, his streak of strikeouts without allowing a walk ended at 49. Wow. <laughs> That seems like a really high number. Yeah, they had a, a, a snapshot last night saying, I'm not sure if it's the highest or just a right around like uh, Kurt Schilling and Pedro Martinez for most strikeouts consecutively without allowing a walk. Wow. But it ended, though, when he walked Santana in the seventh inning on four straight pitches. Yeah, shockingly, Santana was the one to draw the walk, huh? Yeah. It's pretty, pretty incredible. <laughs> the defense that let Cleveland down a little bit last night, they had some plays that um, allowed the Angels to get an extra extra uh, base, which had not happened. They probably could have, you know, not allowed those runs to score. But in regards, they did. Uh, Schubaker was relieved by Houston Street in ninth inning, and then uh, Houston Street sort of fell apart. And uh, our man Lindor appeared in the game as a pinch hitter, drew a walk, and our fan favorite here, Tyler Naquin, singled in the tying run. How great is Tyler Naquin playing, by the way? Uh, really good. But I guess, you know, ironically, he actually has poor marks so far for his defense. Really? Which I think is, well, just... Small sample size. Yeah, I think it'll get better over time. But yeah. And then the bottom line came, and they brought in Brian Shaw, and it did not go so well. Brian Shaw not popular in Cleveland right now, Bob. No, he's not. <laughs> and I, I kind of wonder... Maybe because he's a person available. I just don't know. I mean, he's done better overall recently. But still, this is not a Brian Shaw-esque season to date. And I can't imagine how long Tito's going to go to him in these leverage situations without maybe thinking, hey, just maybe try somebody else instead. Right, anybody else instead. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and we were talking about Shaw before we recorded a little bit too, and he has that cutter that, I mean, it has ridiculous movement on it. But Oh, God. It's, yeah, it's, it's crazy. When you can't put that cutter where you want to, you know, it's just, that's a problem. Like you get, <laughs> you get Basically, you get two spots on the plate to work with. You get the inner half and the outer half. If you miss on those two spots, people are going to crush it. And I think that's kind of what you get when you... You know, when you're Brian Shaw and you can't locate, you're just you're gonna get crushed like that. So, question for you: Do you know of the Cleveland guys' rotation who has the highest walks per nine rate? The highest walks per nine, as in the worst walks per nine rate? Yes. Which starter in the Indians' rotation has the highest walks per nine rate? Uh, if I had to guess, I oh boy, uh. I guess I would guess Danny Salazar. You are correct. 
That would be my guess off the top of my head. What's his uh People what's his would think that it'd be Bauer, but Bauer is, it's not actually Bauer. It's Salazar. Salazar is averaging four point three five walks per nine. Oh wow. Our friend Bauer is now down to a healthy for him, three point oh three. Yeah, as soon as I heard Bauer had only walked one over the last two starts, I figured it probably wasn't him. Yeah. And Salazar, good for Cleveland fans. He had his last turn skip the rotation due to shoulder fatigue, but he is making a start today. So we'll watch him closely. Hopefully that fatigue is now gone and he's back to being his normal self. Yeah. Um, so I have a, uh, I have a fun fact for you and I want to see if you can, if you can guess this fun fact. Okay. So one of my favorite stats, one of my most enjoyable stats that, and now we have access to it It, before it used to be a little harder to find, but fan has it is a stat called well-hit average, or sometimes you hear it called hard-hit average. Right. And I think you can tell a lot about a hitter's progress when you can see how hard he's hitting the ball, so how well he's squaring the ball up. Um, and so Fangraphs now has a hard-hit average that you can sort by. Which Indians hitter do you think has the best hard-hit average on the team? Hmm... I'm guessing it's going to be a starter, right? Yes. I'm going to say Jose Ramirez? Nope. Okay. It is not Jose Ramirez. You ready for it? I'm ready for it. He is top 10 in all of baseball with hard hit average, and his name is Mike Napoli. Wow. Killing the baseball this year. His hard hit average is 43.1%. So 43.1% of the times that he hits the ball, he is just crushing it. <laughs> um, And, you know, this is good, too, coupled with the fact that his fly ball rate is 42%. I mean, I think you can kind of see the type of season that Mike Napoli's having. Yeah, he's he has the sixth best hard hit average this year in all of baseball. Wow. He also, He's up there with guy, David Ortiz is number one at 46%. Then you have Joey Votto, Matt Carpenter, Trevor Story, Chris Carter, Mike Napoli, number six. And Mike Napoli also is up there either first or second in pitches seen per play appearance along with Mike Trout. Is he really? That's Mike Napoli was a good signing for you guys. Yes. I'm a, I was a big Napoli fan that signing too. I think a lot of it is just making sure that he stayed healthy as far as getting your production out of him. And Cleveland yep. seems to be managing him well. Um, you know, putting him in there, you know, DH first base, kind of mixing it in. But yeah, I mean, he has 14 home runs. He's driven in 40 runs already for you, for you guys, or 44 runs or something like that. So yeah, he's been having a great season. Awesome season for Mike Napoli. Okay, so anything else we want to talk about with uh, Cleveland before we move on to the Seawolves? Uh, just lastly, they go to Kansas City uh, Monday through Wednesday, three game stretch. They have an off day, travel day on Thursday, and they will be in the south side against the White Sox next weekend. Ooh. So six straight games with uh, division opponents. So we'll see how they can do then. Maybe they'll get lucky and get to skip over a Chris Sale start. As of right now, Sale is not supposed to pitch against them. Nice. So that would be good. Hope that weather holds out. Although, last time they, they saw Chris Sale, they wrapped up a little bit. Tuned him up, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how often I'd want to bet on that happening. 
No, I don't either. I'd feel, I'd feel good about. <laughs> I'd feel good about. I'd much rather face James Shields than Chris Sale. <laughs> yeah. So before we move on to the Seals, can I tell you? I feel like this podcast has picked up a lot of steam. I feel like I was very low energy to start the episode, and I the Cleveland talk just kind of perked me up a little bit. Oh, sun's out. It's the baseball. The Pirates out. were so depressing. I think I was just sad talking about them the whole time. <laughs> Everybody's hurt. Nobody's pitching well. Pittsburgh Pittsburgh Twitter is about to just collapse Ooh. the internet. They're just one more thing I mentioned here also. Speaking of pitching well, it just kind of rubs salt in the wind a little bit. Sorry here, buddy. Yeah, well that's all right. Go ahead, pile it on. Can you maybe you saw this already, so you might know already. Do you, you know what the team ERA is for the starting pitchers for the Cubs? Uh, what is the Cubs team ERA? Uh, my and guess rotation ERA. It's for just the starters. Yes. Uh, if I had to guess, I would guess two and a half. Okay, very good. Because the Pirates right now are four point two four. Yeah, Pirates are a mess. Cleveland's three point nine five. The Cubs rotation ERA is two point three four. Yeah. Wow. It's pretty. It's pretty ridiculous. They're starting. I mean, Kyle Hendricks is pitching like. Yeah. Kyle Hendricks is pitching like Jake Arrieta. Mm-hmm. It's out of control. So I mentioned that earlier. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that, Bob. <laughs> this is a good reminder of why I hate this baseball season. All right, let's talk about the Seawolves. You ready to have Seawolves shout out? Yep. So the Seals are currently 25 and 39. They are not improving the distance between them and Akron. They're currently 14 games back of the Rubber Ducks, which never gets old, by the way, saying the Akron Rubber Ducks. <laughs> I just enjoy that. That's fun. Yeah, 14 games back of Akron. They finish up the series versus Trenton today. Uh, this entire weekend for the Seawolves has been um, a uh, paint-the-park pink weekend so the seawolves have been wearing pink jerseys uh in the support of the fight against breast cancer all weekend the game worn jerseys and along with other items are auctioned off uh all weekend long to raise funds for local cancer charities so one third of the jerseys will be auctioned off each day uh friday through sunday games the seawolves hit the road tomorrow and travel actually to akron uh before returning home for three games against Bowie followed by three games against uh, home against New Hampshire. So uh, next Monday is a buck night. If you're planning on eating some hot dogs, I would say that Monday would be the best day to go because they will be a dollar. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If they make too many hot dogs, they might even be 50 cents. (laughs) So your colon will appreciate that. I promise you. They're Smith's hot dogs, man. They are. They are good. They are good. So I think that's going to wrap us up today. Anything else we want to hit on? Is that it? I don't think so. Yeah. Nice episode today. Like I said, I feel like it picked up uh, picked up some energy as we we gained some steam talking about the tribe. Go tribe. I feel like I'm a little more little more peppy now. Uh, so uh, we're recording consistently now. We got the baseball season underway, so uh, we might have to might have to have a fill in next week. Bob's going to be traveling out west. But uh, in the meantime, you can check us out on the web at www.tsmbaseball.com. You can email us, tristatebb at tsmbaseball.com. You can follow us on the Twitter at tristatebb. 
And you can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash TSN Baseball. So for Bob Finkbeiner, this is Andy Burdick, and we look forward to talking to you soon.